This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 142, the last episode of 2022, the calendar year here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Excited to bring you this show as always. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside by Nick Maxson here during this holiday season. And uh, it is the middle of December here, and we've got a fair amount of things to talk about. Have a little bit of fun here as we kind of move into the end of Christmas, which, uh, of course, I can't wait for the break, obviously. For those who missed it, we're going to be off next Sunday. Come back January 1st of the new calendar year. So should be exciting. But what do we have on tap for you? Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup suddenly has a bunch of stuff as uh, no surprise, apparently. Um, and then as far as NCAA hockey, well, we have six scores to recap. We'll get you kind of set up for what's going to be happening while we're gone uh, before the end of the calendar year. We're going to have a little bit of fun talking uh, just kind of in general about some Christmas stuff college hockey as a whole uh we're going to talk a little bit about the minnesota wild probably a little bit more in depth now that we actually have a chance to maybe have some time to do that a couple of fan questions that we had we didn't have many but we had enough to you know at least uh jump into that and then our extra ice session the world juniors are getting underway here teams are getting ready to to get ramped up for that so we're going to talk about what we expect out of that and who really has the edge for a world junior uh, championship that a lot of the rosters looked largely the same, but a few surprises and a few changes that obviously have occurred for some of these teams as we move into uh, probably one of the most coveted, I would say, tournaments, at least in Canada, that you know people kind of look forward to every uh, every Christmas time and the like. So with that being said, we hope you are having a happy and wonderful holiday, and we will get started with Center ICU News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Huskies Illustrated uh, Weekly Roundup, the Center Ice View News and Notes, Noah, and uh, shall we say a story we've been following for some time uh, looks to be finally getting some positive news, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Hockey Canada, right? Um, they've elected some new board members. Um, so effectively, um, 
they elected a slate of candidates uh, to fill uh, nine vacant board seats um, just yesterday. Um, retired Judge Hugh L. Frazier is Hockey Canada's new chair. Uh, former women's national team Cassie Campbell-Pascal is one of the uh, one of new uh, eight directors, I should say. Uh, the Federation's 13 provincial and territorial bodies had the choice to accept or reject the nine names, which included five women and four men, put forward by independent nominating committee. Uh, so... This is step one, right, Noah, because as we followed this story, it's not just been about who, but it's been about what they're doing, right? So the 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 real measuring stick for me is, so what happens with these new members, right? It's it's one thing to put new names in there, but they follow the same procedures. It means nothing. So yeah. uh, still a story to watch, but effectively some new leadership. You Hopefully that also some new policies, some some new directions for Hockey Canada, especially in the wake of multiple allegations um, of misconduct in many different facets that stemmed from uh, the organization for the better part of, well, quite a few years. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that we've kind of noticed too, though, is that it seems like this board is very diverse and it seems like obviously they, they cleared the board, the 13 provincial and territorial bodies. Um, and it seems like this board has a good representation of what people are looking for. It wasn't something that was hastily thrown together. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that's interesting, uh, and I'd be curious to know this, because obviously Hockey Canada represents everybody, but it predominantly at its base was probably more catered to men as you know, hockey evolved before women's hockey really gained a lot of traction. Uh, how many boards do you see in a big you know, sporting event or corporation like that, where there's more women than men on that board. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that that's an exciting thing, I think. So, uh, of course, you know, having a couple of former Hockey Canada players, both men and women uh, on that board, that that's a big deal, I think, for that representation as well, too, to kind of know where to advocate from a player side of things, too. So uh, these are steps in the right direction. Um, leave it to Hockey Canada to give us a little bit of happy Christmas news before maybe a potential more torrential rain as we there's <laughs> move there's into clouds yeah. uh, that they have to go through. You, you know, you know, what's interesting. Um, I don't know if anybody else, uh, Ian Kennedy had tweeted this to um, Dominic Ducharme. Have you seen the the tweets on that, by the way, not to be I a Debbie it. Downer, but it's been, uh, um, there, it's been now three separate teams. I, I believe he was part of the 2018 team. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. Uh, but it was that team, um, a QMJHL team that he was coaching, and then a youth team. Um, and they've all had like sexual, like misconduct or assault allegations, and they're all kind of similar. And it's been three separate teams that he's coached. Of course, Dominic Ducharme, of course, former coach of the Montreal Canadiens, mm -hmm. and then uh, has had some world junior, obviously, experience too, and has been a very successful coach at a lot of levels. So um, I'm not sure uh, what kind of rainstorm we're going to get moving into January and February, but there's some things that are really there's opening up here, you know? Well, and at the end of the day, there's still storms that haven't passed yet, right? No, there's yeah. still things that are still being worked through. And this new group of leadership is going to have to deal essentially with the consequences that stems from those investigations and those allegations. So it's something to keep mm -hmm. an eye on. Uh, here's some interesting news, Noah. Uh, we've talked on this issue before. And what I mean by that is, there's there's a group out there that says the NHL season's too long, right? That it's 82 games, it's a lot of hockey, and especially in an Olympic year where you have to take time out and then you have to scrunch essentially what three, sometimes four games in a week, if not six days. Right. Um, supposedly, some sources with ESPN 
um, I should say, told ESPN, said that the NHL is actually looking to add two games to the schedule from 82 to 84. Um, The idea of this is there seems to be a schedule reconfiguration. Now, we've seen a schedule reconfiguration not that long ago, where remember when the Minnesota Wild, as a Western Conference team, would not see essentially the Eastern Conference at all. They would a couple of pockets. They reconfigured that where you're playing the East teams at least once at home and once away. So you're, you're seeing Sidney Crosby, you're seeing Alex Ovechkin, um, name your player of choice, right? Um, just to try to, so the fans can see everybody, which I think was a good move. Right. Now it seems like there seems to be a renewed focus on uh, rivalries. Um, yeah. Gee, who would have thought rivalry sells, right? Um, <laughs> supposedly, um, the... The big thing is, well, let's say it this way. Under the current format, uh, some teams play only three games against a division rival, just again, based on the schedule of 82 games, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes it's four, depending on the year. Um, and then we talked about how the rest of the schedule kind of rounds out, right? Um, at the end of it, what they want to do is add those two games to a division rival. Here's my question, though. Um, if you do that... Rivalries change, Noah. That's the thing. Is so it's like I, I get the idea, but how do you how do you schedule this? You know this because let's talk about the NCH. They're, right? they're divisional games. I get that. Yeah. But so still. so so calling it a rivalry is like, for example, it'd be like a, another game during the season against Arizona, right? But which is here's know. my question though. So say that we go back three four years. It's Minnesota Chicago, right? The NCHC approves their 2023-24 schedule this week, essentially. They do it during the holiday break. Yeah. The NHL with the TV schedule and everything, they're pretty much doing that already, if not. So yeah. my question is, say, say you approve the two extra games and you're picking that team, right? How do we know that's going to be a rivalry game this early on? That's what I mean. Like, I get what they're selling. No, I I, I think what's happening is if you have a division of eight teams, six of them you end up playing four times, but two of them you only end up playing three. So they're just adding an extra game for the other two teams in your division. So it's not a rivalry. No. I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you call it a rivalry, but divisional rival. That's, that's essentially what I'm putting on the plate for the NHL is they're, they're yeah. claiming it as rivalry, but the, the real answer is no. That's really Well, it just says a divisional rival. I mean, it's not a rivalry. It's a divisional rival, meaning a team in your division. That's all it means. Um, (laughs) uh, This is not the first time the NHL has had an 84-game season, though. Um, This Mm -hmm. uh, It used to actually be that way. I don't know if it was for two seasons or three right before the current uh, flip to the format. So um, it hasn't been formally broached at the Board of Governors meeting, but it's expected to be discussed at the general manager meeting in March. Um, We might be a year or two away from this uh, if it does happen. I've always been in the camp where I think there should be less games. In fact, if it was me, I would drop six games off of the schedule and I would play each divisional team, maybe only three times or that sort of thing. Um, and I get the divisional games obviously sell. It's different when, you know, Minnesota's playing Colorado versus, you know, another team like like Vancouver, I guess. You know, right. although although the Vancouver games probably do still pretty well, I'm sure, with the old uh, Northwest division sure. that, that we had. But, yeah, I, I don't know. it. I have an idea. I'll put it, it this way. And this, it, this flows actually into our next topic really well is, do you think we're having this discussion if the league was still not recovering financially from the pandemic? I, I see this yeah. I see this more as driving more revenue. That's how I see this. And there, it's a marketing tool for the rivalry. That's how I see it anyway. Yeah. Uh, 
speaking of which, Noah, just to keep moving things forward, right? Um, that $4 million salary cap rise, uh, they've really, really regressed that number. Supposedly now the new projection, $1 million bucks. Yeah. Um, not surprising. I hate to say this, but the NHL likes to put out the feelers. And this happens quite a bit, right? Where all we see revenues three and four, but then the numbers start coming in. They're like, wait, this isn't going as well. So um, this is coming now from Gary Batman, right? So they're projecting a $70 million escrow balance at the end of this season, which would result in the cap rising only a million bucks to 83 and a half for next season. Um, so what that means is now, mind you, escrow, we've talked about this before. Um, it's money owed by the players, to the organizations. Had that been paid off, it would have actually increased to $4 million. So here's the good news there, Noah, and we'll, we'll be quick on this, and that is yeah. we're still only halfway point of the season. These are projected numbers. So if the league starts doing better as far as revenues are concerned, reverse retros, anything they can do to generate money, uh, there's still time for those numbers to get better. But interesting that they start at four, regress down to one, and for a lot of teams out there, that $3 million, I mean, what's to take a one? Say that's, let's say it goes to two. That's a lot of money for teams. I think half the league is under $2 million in cap space. Yeah. Hashtag Minnesota Wild a little bit right. there. Uh, you could use any space that they can yes. get. Um, that's the thing, though, is... I mean, that's a lot of money, $70 million that is owed. Yeah. And, and for a big corporation, a big business like the NHL, it might not feel like that. But the problem is, I, I think maybe the NHL was hoping that the players would get to that point where they would, you know, bump that number up and pay off a lot more of that and get closer to zero for that. Uh, it, it's just not looking all that great right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no real surprise by that. I think until we get through the current CBA or close to the end of the current CBA and kind of mm-hmm. give a couple years to, to get us to that point, I think it's just going to kind of be a slow uphill battle for mm-hmm. the NHL until something kind of finally pushes them over. Right when yeah. they get off their salary cap, which yeah. how, how, how like storybook timing would that be, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of storybook timing, um, this is kind of speaking of surprising news. Ellie Tolvanen um, from the Predators put on waivers. Um, that part's surprising. What's not surprising, he was claimed. Uh, yeah. Seattle Kraken claim him off. Uh, he's, he's a young player. He's 23 years old. He's a former 30th overall pick in 2017. He's got 51 points in 135 NHL games. Uh, really good defensive metrics. In fact, a 71% war. Um, yeah. So wins above replacement for those who don't know. Um, so that's kind of curious. Um yeah, and sometimes Noah. Again, this is sports, right? Sometimes the player is really good, just maybe just wasn't a fit um, with what they had and what they had constructed, and maybe just didn't fit with yeah. the system. And smart move by like Seattle, that. though. I mean, yeah. no, no surprise. I mean, add to an already great roster and add. Uh, if there's yep. one thing that yep. Seattle struggles with at times, it's not scoring goals. It's keeping them out of their own net. So having mm-hmm. a good defensive forward certainly won't hurt you. Um, and I always thought it was funny because, I mean, not that it's amazing, but I love how they're like, yeah, he only has 51 points in 135 NHL games. Like, that's not bad. <laughs> you know, no. like, that's, that's productive, you know. And, and at the end of it, it's your bottom six, right, Noel? We talk about this in hockey lingo, right? In the casual fan says every 12, all 12 players out there have to have scoring ability. Well, yeah. sure, you got to have some of it, but the reality is your bottom six are supposed to match up against the other opponent's top six and they're supposed to shut them down effectively. Um, 
Now that's you know kind of old school, but simplification for just the sake of the argument. Um, speaking of case for the argument, uh, Trevor Moore made himself quite the argument to ink a pretty nice five-year extension with the LA Kings, um, $4.2 million average annual value in that contract. Um, this is a nice deal. 27 years of age, 18 points in 32 games. So it's a nice price point for the production. And the length is okay, you know, 32, 33. So it's not going too far. Um, I think a good extension for both sides. I think it's a really good contract. Yeah, Los Angeles Kings making that move. Uh, Trevor Moore, kind of interesting to see here's career progression. We kind of thought that he was maybe going to be, a, you know, million player. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. And uh, he's really carved out a really nice career for himself. I would certainly agree. Uh, Other aforementioned players, by the way, uh, from last week or the week before, Alex Fermentin, um, he's going to play in Switzerland for the rest of the season. Of course, his contract was not renewed or re-upped essentially by uh, the Senators before the deadline of December. Yeah, before December 1st. So he is going to be playing in Switzerland for the rest of the year. Of course, he was on that 2018 World Junior team. We kind of touched on that. They're probably waiting and seeing on that one uh as far as closer to home by the way matt cullen's jersey retirement january 14th at the herb brooks national hockey center his number nine is going to be retired uh into st cloud hockey history there in that building so hopefully everybody can get out and uh check out that uh retirement so it would only be the second jersey number in program history to be retired i believe so the other yeah um which is which is interesting um you know obviously a very storied nhl career uh no doubt uh three stanley cups i believe three carolina Um, and then two with pittsburgh Pittsburgh. so um which it's interesting because matt cullen obviously a very good hockey player throughout his career but he didn't post like eye-popping numbers even in the mid-90s when he was here the two years that he was here so Mm -hmm. um you kind of wonder if his body of work in the nhl has you know obviously alluded to do with it yeah so um but yeah nonetheless january 14th her brooks national hockey center uh that will be happening uh vegas golden knights defenseman alex petrangelo returned to practice uh yesterday after a nine game absence his four-year-old daughter became seriously ill uh, daughter evelyn came down uh with the flu uh influenza over thanksgiving and then had encephalitis um which is basically a lesion on her brain um and swelling that causes in there um she essentially lost motor skills, not being able to open her eyes for the first five days. Of course, when you put all that pressure and compression on the brain, yeah. things get pretty scary. So uh, it sounds like the treatment worked a little bit quicker than they had anticipated, and the recovery road has been swift and positive. So uh, wishing them the best luck. That's always a scary scary thing to see players go through. Uh, Red Wings, Jakob Vrana reinstated from uh, the player assistance program. Um, there's no timetable for him uh, in his return, but the Wings mm-hmm. can certainly use him back. Lucas Sedlak leaving Philadelphia. Um, he's returning home to Czechia, which this was interesting. Um, I don't, I didn't look at his point total. I'm sure it's in this article here. Um, he had 18 goals, 17 assists and just under 200 NHL games. Um, three goals and five assists in 27 games this season. Uh, He's headed back home. I mean, he's basically just homesick, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, His comments, his quote was, I just felt overall me playing in the NHL. It didn't bring me what I expected it to bring me. I would rather be home with my family. It's more than one reason. They all kind of combined together. That's why I made a decision. It's nothing with the organization team or anything like that. Uh, He thinks he'll probably end up playing um, in the Czech league over there. One year, eight hundred thousand dollar contract. He was claimed um, on October nineteenth by the Flyers, and head coach John Tortorella said, "Hey, he just decided to go home. He's done. He wants to go back home. He's a good man. We're going to miss him." So, 
of course, mm-hmm. he played under Tortorella when he was back in Columbus. He's originally a Blue Jacket draft pick back mm-hmm. in 2011. So um, kind of an interesting story, I thought. Um, played in the KHL for a little bit too, but it's interesting. You know, we think of the NHL as this, you know, obviously great league and that sort of thing. But, you know, there's some players that they just, they don't find what they're looking for, which is a, an interesting thing to hear about a league. But, you know, if it's not a right fit and you feel like it's a lot of work for a whole lot of nothing for you. you, and, know? you and that's the thing, right, Noah? And, you know, does that mean he was looking for more success personally on the ice? Was it the off-ice stuff? I mean, we'll never know. And at the end of the day, it's none of our business, right? I think the, right. the one thing that's positive here is, you know, he wasn't happy with where he was at. And it's interesting to think, oh my gosh, a player not happy to be a National Hockey League player, right? Well, as you mentioned, you know, the, the numbers weren't fantastic. And there are some people that are out there, and I'm not saying this is, you know, him specifically, but you kind of wonder if they just maybe expected more from themselves, right? They yeah. just weren't, they w- wasn't giving them the, the joy just being in the lineup. They want to be a more of, of a bigger contributor. And over time, I mean, it just it kind of wears on you. Now, again, we don't know yeah. if that's the case, but again, good on him for recognizing that this was a situation that wasn't healthy for him yeah. and what he needed to do to be more happy. Now, it's possible, right? We've seen this before, no, where you go back home and then the itch is still there, right? So maybe he still plays in, in, in Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic, I should say, uh, and then maybe says, eh, maybe I want to go back. Um, we'll see. You know, time will tell, but good on him for, uh, you know, getting himself into the right situation for him. Well, the other thing people have to realize, too, is that, I mean, it's still a job for people. It's still going to work. And the other thing that is different from most jobs is, you know, the fact that one, you know, there's an insane amount of pressure on these players, which, you know, you say, oh, there's pressure at my job. There certainly is. But it's kind of a unique pressure where, you know, the mistakes have to be really limited. And it's hard work. Your body is your biggest tool. And you have to go through this physical and mental grind that it's just it's kind of hard to explain to people. I mean, they get it. But, you know going in day in and day out, sometimes that just takes a toll on you. And if you're playing fourth line minutes for all of that hard work and, you know, making a contract that is close to league minimum, sometimes it can be, you know, not exactly the most exciting thing for people as they enter into. Right. It looks good from the outside, but if you're that player in that position, it's not as glamorous. The other thing to remember is depending on taxes, some players like his contract, $800,000, he might only take home about $200,000. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, three, like three to four. Yeah. And if you're in Canada, probably even less to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Those taxes, they're ridiculous. Yeah. So people see, oh, you know, one million dollar contract. You're you're only taking I mean, maybe a fourth of that home or a third of that home if you're lucky. So escrow too. Right. So, yeah. Yep. So uh, last topic here, uh, injuries. Golden Knights. Uh, Jack Eichel is on injury reserve right now. He was retroactive seven days prior. He's missed four games already. He's day to day currently, so they're kind of hoping that he's going to return back sometime around the holiday break. I'm sure. Uh, Winnipeg. Uh, Blake Wheeler and Nate Schmidt out at least four weeks. Couple of former Golden Gophers in that group. Uh, groin surgery for Blake Wheeler and an upper Ouch. body injury for Nate Schmidt. So he um, took a nasty hit the other night. Yeah. Nasty so um, and then two others here. Uh, Ottawa Senators. Tim Stutzla out at least a week with a shoulder contusion and then in national predators forward michael mccarran enters the nhl nhlpa player assistance program and it will be unavailable indefinitely and welcome in to the main portion of the show episode 142 here nick maxson joining myself noah grant nick happy holidays it's a week from christmas here we are 
pushing into uh, the last couple of weeks of 2022. For those who missed it, really? in the other, yeah, in the other portion of the show, um, we are going to be off next week. Next Sunday, of course, is Christmas. We'll be back the week after that. So hopefully you enjoy the rest of your holiday season before we flip over the calendar year. Any big plans for Christmas, Nick? No, not really. Just hang out with family. Um, if it's uh, Christmas Eve, I know there's some football games. Hopefully the the purple and gold enough to uh, come back from a 33-point deficit to a 4-8-1 team. So that would be nice. Yeah, um, that was crazy. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, not really. Um, it's supposed to be really freaking cold. <laughs> it's supposed yeah, to be it, really cold. It's it's cold here already. Yesterday we were down in Bismarck for the Toro game, obviously, and had a. Right. I was telling Nick before the show we had a coach get hit in the head, two fans get hit in the head with a puck. It was it's yeah. been a, a wild ride. Uh, yeah, weather cool. weather related things. We have a player with an injury who's ended up in the hospital. Like things are just they're nuts. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, for those who are listening to me outside the Midwest. Um, it's been relatively mild up until this week for yeah. December. Uh, it's been in the 20s slash lower 30s. This is unseasonably warm. Um, let's just say that we got pushed over the cliff. It's now in the single digits. Uh, the cold has set in. It looks like it's going to be here for a little bit with possible more yeah, deep, weather on the way next week, which could hamper some travel plans. Yeah, deep, deep freeze is definitely in effect here. Um, and it's kind of misleading too, because even if you look at, you know, the temperature, it'll say, you know, one degree, zero degrees, negative two degrees, whatever. But with wind chill and the feels like temperature, we're hitting like negative 30s, you know. So it's just it hasn't been all that great. Um, And and I kind of think it's funny because I remember, you know, when I was still playing some of those road trips where you would get off the bus two, three o'clock in the morning and it's, you know, 20, 30 mile an hour wind outside and you're carrying your bag across a parking lot or back into the rink or across campuses. It's terrible. Um, So hopefully stay warm and cozy this holiday season because it certainly uh, becomes difficult. I'm got some men's league hockey going on and then I'm headed home uh, at least for a week. And then we'll be back uh, of course for uh, Minotauro hockey. They've got three games before the end of the calendar year. They had one rescheduled because of the blizzard uh, Mm -hmm. that ended up this week. So uh, six games in 10 days, I believe three of them against St. Cloud three against Bismarck. So I have to see how that is going to rock and roll as always. We'll get into more Christmas stuff. I think as we go through the show here, I, we're just going to recap very quickly what happened. Only six scores around the NCAA that we're going to touch on. We'll give you a brief overview of what's going to be going on in men's hockey uh, upcoming through January 1st, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. And then obviously we'll recap everything when we get back and visit uh, our great listeners and viewers as always. Uh, starting in the Big Ten, uh, non-conference action, Ohio State traveled to Bowling Green and kicked the snot out of Bowling Green, basically. Yeah, even close. Uh, yeah, 5-2 and 9-4. So I uh, was curious to see if that was going to be a lot tighter matchup than it was. Um, it's Mankato team, Nick. Oh, boy. Uh, well, it's sort of good news for Huskies fans in a way. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. This Bemidji State team is is climbing. And I know that a lot of people want Bemidji to climb, obviously Huskies fans, but other teams included, um, yeah. certainly because of the loss to them. Uh, four to three overtime victory and four to one sweep. <laughs> the Beavers over Mankato. This, this Mankato team... They're not giving their goaltenders goal support. They're no. not, you know, nothing. You know what's interesting, Nick? I actually had uh, a, a kind of an interesting conversation uh, with Marissa Voss, who, of course, is with us uh, at MNCAA. And we talked about it. Um, I, 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 if I don't remember the specifics, I apologize. But it was something like where Keenan Rancier 
has like his record is like six and eight or six and nine or something like that this season entering last weekend. And he had played, he had, he had given up only two more goals in two more games and seen like 120 shots more than Alex Tracy and let in, you know, only two more goals and that sort of thing. So everyone wants to pin all this on Keenan Rancier, which is not to say that every goal he's let in has been, you know, not his fault because certainly there's something he should have had, but there has been no goal support for this team. They've only given up each goaltender. Alex Tracy has given up four goals one time. Other than that, each of these goaltenders has not given up more than three goals in a game until this upcoming weekend against Bemidji, that four to three OT loss. Like their goaltenders are doing what they're supposed to do. And this Mavs team, like, they might not make no. the tournament, Nick. No. Uh, and the biggest thing with Minnesota State, too, they're kind of like Bemidji when we when you talk about you know what makes them successful is they usually have to play with the lead, right? They have not been getting out to that lead because of the scoring droughts. And then instead of you know being that defensively tight neutral zone team, they're having to chase. So their game plan has been flipped on its head, yeah. for lack of a better phrase. Um, and unfortunately, because of guys they lost like Nathan Smith, Julian Pravic, just to name a couple, right? Um, they just haven't been able to overcome it. Now, we've also mentioned on that same podcast, there's some players that have been returned and just have not produced, right? So it's it's been sort of, shall we say, a perfect storm for them a little bit. Right. And yeah, goaltending is easiest because it's the lazy argument. But if you actually dive into watching them play, if you actually dive into the numbers and look at what actually is happening, like you mentioned, Goaltenders will always want to stop every puck. Some of it they'll want back. Some of it's like it's through a screen, it's a tip. There's nothing they can do, right? So either way, it just seems like the um, uh, the the hill is much bigger this year for Minnesota State than it was certainly in years past. Yeah, certainly would agree. Other scores to recap here: uh, Lake Superior State another victory for them, three nothing over Michigan Tech, and then Tech came back storming uh, through with a five to one victory last night, which is no surprise. But that loss might hurt Tech. I think people have this idea that it's going to just bury them in the pairwise or the polling. I don't think that's the case. Um, obviously, Lake Superior is not a good hockey team, and it will certainly pull them down a couple of spots. But, I mean, some people were talking about that they were going to drop 10, 11 spots. I, I don't see no. that. I, like, it's it's not anything, that detrimental. Like, if anything, it's it's if you're a bubble team. If you're in that bubble area, come paralyzed selection, that's where it hurts you, right? It's, you know, it's yeah. it's when you're making the humans decide, you know, which team has performed better, that's where it can be the lead anchor, right? It's not necessarily the placing that they made it after is it, a shock. Is that a Lakers joke? Because they yeah, have an so. anchor. The lead anchor. Yeah, how'd you, <laughs> yeah got it. Uh, but, but yeah, that's, that's really what it comes down to is if you're sort of in that, you know, that 16, 17, 15 spot and it's really super close and the committee's trying to pick which team deserves to be there, that's where a loss like that can sway against you, not necessarily immediate, you know, like we said, you're not going to drop 10 spots, but def- definitely doesn't help the argument. We'll say it that much. Yeah. You know, their conference games going on this week. Uh, Ferris State, St. Thomas. It was a split. St. Thomas, 7-4, to four, night number one. Ferris State, 4-2 to two with an empty netter last night uh, to earn the split on that one. This Tommy's team is gaining a little bit of traction here. Ferris State has kind of disrupted some people's uh, holiday season, so to speak, in the past bit. couple of weeks. So keep an eye on that one. Good to see the Tommy's. Uh, be successful obviously uh making that conference ever more competitive the ccha you know is not the same powerhouse as the big 10 or the nchc but it certainly has 
I would say in some sense more interesting. Yeah, maybe carried the most intrigue out of any conference this season. Maybe I'd say NCHC second, Big Ten third, just because the NCHC has had some interesting players that have not been in spots that we right anticipated, like even close. No, and for the Big Ten, it's I think even going into into the season there, I think there was a known. There's been some surprises. Shall we say Michigan and shall we say Penn State? Maybe in opposite right. ends of the spectrum, but. I think there was less intrigue, like I said, with the Big Ten, because I think coming into the season, I think there was a good idea where that would shake out. Yeah, certainly would agree. Uh, Alaska Fairbanks traveling to Anchorage, um, four to nothing victory on the first night, and then last night, I believe this score held. Yes, it did a one to nothing victory for Fairbanks in night number two. So the Sea Wolves shut out in back to back nights on home ice in front of a sellout crowd both nights. So that's tough. Um, and then Northeastern will travel to Long Island today on Sunday. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, what's on tap here? So I tried to break this down in a way that it was palatable as much as I could. Obviously, we've got games from December 27th, which is a Tuesday right after Christmas, which kind of stinks for some teams. Yeah. Uh, and then all the way through into essentially January 1st or 2nd, even Monday into Tuesday. And then I kind of went basically to that, I believe, Wednesday after. So it might be. January 3rd is the farthest we went. And then that Thursday, whatever it is, maybe it's the fifth is that Thursday. So right, yeah. um, that Thursday onward will be the next week is the start of the new week. I always start every Thursday unless there's a, just a couple scores that kind of we can meander in there. So uh, we'll try to make as much sense as we can. What I can tell you is there are three tournaments going on that were easy to track here. Uh, Great Lakes Invitational Tuesday, December 27th. Um, of course, this is the this is the Invitational last year in which Michigan did not end up playing Western Michigan for those who are curious what that matchup is. The Wolverines are not in this one this year, which is... That's well, you got to show up first. So yeah. Helps. You know what's interesting? As far as I can see in the schedule, these teams only play like... There's only two games and that's it. They don't play each other again. So it's kind of yeah. a, it's a weird little invitational to come back from Christmas that early. But nonetheless, Michigan Tech has Western Michigan. That should be a good matchup. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see yep. how that ends up in Ferris State gets Michigan State. So um, those two teams, those two games happen and then there's no. That's it, apparently. I just like free hockey for a fan, right? Just yeah. kind of like, yeah. I suppose if you put it all in the same day, people can't leave after, right? Um, <laughs> uh, holiday face-off, Wednesday, December 28th. This is, I believe, in Wisconsin. Lake Superior State travels to Wisconsin, and Clarkson has UMass. Um, very weird mix of yeah. <laughs> hockey teams in this one. And then Lake Superior State in Wisconsin will get Clarkson or UMass on the other side of that the next night. So we won't know until they play each other and who wins, who loses. Same with the Ledyard Bank Classic, which is closer to the actual weekend uh, of the 29th through the 31st. Providence has Yale, Merrimack has Dartmouth, and then Providence and Merrimack get either Yale or Dartmouth. Or Sorry, Providence and Yale get either Merrimack or Dartmouth, respectively. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. So those are, those are your tournaments. As far as actual conference play, we do have two matchups. They both come from Atlantic Hockey. Mercyhurst travels to Sacred Heart Thursday, Friday, and Canisius is at Air Force. As far as the non-conference schedule, Nick, Quite a bit. this is going to be kind of annoying to cover here, but just to run you through the gamut here, the under-18 team has Minnesota. RPI travels to Bowling Green, and AIC travels to Cornell. Those are both Thursday-Friday matchups. UConn, home-and-home home against Long Island. So independent team matching up against a Hockey East team there. New Hampshire travels to Union. Penn State, Big Ten team, has a home-and-home with RIT because they're pretty pretty close proximity. Alaska Anchorage is headed to UMass Lowell. That is a huge travel. Wow. 
Holy that's smokes. like a seven hour flight. Yeah, that's a, I mean, cross cut, that's got to be at least 2,000 miles, if not more, right? Like that's, that would be closer to, because it's 1,100 from Minneapolis to Las Vegas. Yeah, that's oh, a, I know that. Maybe but, even three. I would love to actually, three. it's probably you know, closer to, well, maybe 2,500. I want to, I got curious. You made me curious. Alaska Anchorage. Should we, should we book a flight? What do you think? I'm, I'm going to guess 2,500. Alaska Anchorage. So, okay, so 2,500 over under here. That's the, that's the real question. Two, UMass Lowell. Are they in Massachusetts? Where would they be? Where is the UMass Lowell? That'd be, that'd be Boston since you're flying into. Let's go with Boston. Alaska Anchorage to Boston, Massachusetts. Can you fly from Anchorage? Oh, you can. Okay. So Anchorage. Oh, my Boston. gosh. That's like a, it's like a 10 hour flight. I think. Let's see. In miles. Yeah, like a 10 hour flight. In miles. I want miles. That's what I'm looking for. I'm on, uh, I'm on a, shall we say, a, a Oh my gosh. Holy smokes, Nick. It is 4,555 miles if you're driving. Oh, we were, you know, at least I got, at least I was the under. I didn't lose the showcase uh, by default. So that's good. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm pulling up a, a, I suppose there's, a, I, I suppose there's this, this country called Canada in between that probably adds a little bit of mileage. Yeah. What I'm seeing for the flights, um, Alaska airlines, 15 hours with a connecting flight, Delta 11 hours of the connecting flight, United 10 hours, American 10 hours. Yeah. Oof. Jesus Lord. Well, well, um, I, well, I hope that they plan to stay for a couple of days. That's yikes. That is that's, gross. That's a brutal road trip. Um, I mean, it, I mean, it's cool. They get to go to the East coast and that sort of thing. But, uh, you guys, uh, you know, wondering why the Seawolves in programs like this struggle sometimes. You know what's interesting? So, for example, like the Kenai River brown bears in the Nall, right? They were almost at a point where they're going to fold. They were going to fold, and Alaska Fairbanks actually subsidized them. Um, Alaska Fairbanks is kind of the program up there right now, and they've even helped. I believe they've helped the Seawolves out a little bit too. So, I mean, they're a group that is doing decently financially, and they've kind of helped hockey stay in Alaska a little bit. It's been kind of an interesting story, but anything else you want to add about our flight from east to west and then some? <laughs> yeah. If, if, if we were taking this flight up in first class, just so I can be by my freaking self. Yeah. Would, yeah. It'd be terrible spending that much time with you next. No, thank you. <laughs> nice. thank, thankfully there's plenty of in-flight entertainment options and like angry birds. Happy holidays from Nick Maxson. Exactly. Uh, uh, the, Grinch, the Grinch on the airplane. Anyway. Romance. Uh, oh, I would love to see you in a Grinch costume. I think it would be good. Uh, Boston Could you imagine like, <laughs> a, like the Grinch and like it with a essentially a crossroad with like snakes on a plane. You see how horrible that movie would be. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of travel, by the way, um, Boston University or sorry, Boston College. college is headed to sorry i was looking at the other i'm looking at safari because i wanted to see how far this was boston college is headed to tempe to take on arizona state in the sun devils that'd be this, like thousand miles this is 2650 miles okay. uh by drive so i'm gonna assume they're gonna be flying um well you don't say what you never <laughs> you never know um boston university they're playing harvard at home so they you know, limited the travel a little bit better. Uh, that one is a Friday only matchup, as far as I can tell. Maine travels to Colgate, Colgate, uh, Quinnipiac to Holy Cross, Northeastern Bentley, Lindenwood. Independent team is headed to Vermont. They have 
uh, Denver quite a scare this past weekend. That's the other score that we'll talk about, obviously. Uh, U.S. under-18 team, after having Minnesota, will have North Dakota on Saturday. Um, Minnesota will then flip over and have a single-game matchup against Bemidji State. So if the Beavers could pull out a victory there, that would be huge for Huskies fans. Um, And then Alaska, Fairbanks, is headed Saturday, Sunday to Notre Dame, as is Northeastern and Harvard on Sunday only. Then we only got two more. Army travels to Yale on Monday and Brown at UMass on Tuesday before we flip over. NCHC, of course, every team except for Denver was off this past weekend. Lindenwood traveled for some non-conference action at Magnus Arena. 5-0 victory in night number one, but it was a 5-4 finish in night number two. Denver almost getting a scare from Lindenwood there. Uh, This Lindenwood team, I mean, they've given some of these teams... Fits. Fits, yeah. Uh, Minnesota, obviously, early on in the season. Of course, non-conference-wise, nothing has changed in the NCHC standings. Denver, St. Cloud, CC, Omaha, Western, Duluth, North Dakota, Miami, in that order. Just how we predicted it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) right? (laughs) I I think it's crazy. I mean, obviously, Denver, three points ahead of St. Cloud, and then CC, three points behind them. Um, And then you have a smorgasbord of teams between 17 points and 12 points uh, between three and seven. So, Three and um, seven is uh, there could be a lot of shuffling there, depending on how, you know, the rest of the schedule works itself out. Um, yeah. and dare we say even two to seven, depending on how well that team continues to, you know, play. Yeah, so. certainly. Uh, what's on tap for the NCHC? Of course, like we mentioned, Western Michigan is playing Michigan Tech. So we'll kind of keep keep an eye on that. I left that in the, tr- the tournament that it's in. So mm-hmm. that's one NCHC team you're going to be missing. Princeton. Travels to Colorado College, and as Huskies fans know from a couple of years ago, we don't want to sleep on this Princeton no, team because they can no. give you a scare. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Lawrence travels to Omaha to face the Mavs. Niagara is traveling to Miami. I'm curious about that Niagara mashup to see who comes out on that one. Uh, and then St. Thomas travels to Duluth on Saturday only. And then, of course, Manitoba, an exhibition game against St. Cloud State on December 30th. So obviously we talked about the Huskies. You know, they have to have it. They have to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can't just really confidence wise. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird little schedule that, um, you know, you hope nobody gets hurt. Um, right. that, that sort of thing as well too. So we'll talk about, we have an injury question that's coming from our fans as well too. I'm waiting for the pairwise to pop up. Here we are. Um, St. Cloud has dropped one spot seven. to seven. So Minnesota's atop, uh, everything, which is, which is no surprise. Um, Denver's at four. Um, strange, right? I think so. Quinnipiac and Merrimack in between. Merrimack obviously rated a little higher than they probably will be at the end of the season. Penn State and 5BU at 6. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I well, know. and this is where like these holiday interconference sort of matchups, I think, will provide a little bit more clarity mm-hmm. on, you know, how good these teams are. And that's been one of the, the drawbacks of the exhibition um, schedules. If, the Minnesota teams, which mind you, I wouldn't change that. But what you miss then, Noah, is you're not getting that sense of, okay, well, how good is the East versus the West? And I think that's why it's been sort of a finicky polls. You know what I mean? So You know, it's interesting. I've got a question here for you. Of course, Michigan State at 8, UConn at 9, Ohio State Mm -hmm. 10, Michigan, Massachusetts, Harvard, UMass, Providence, Notre Dame round out your top 16 right now. Mm -hmm. Um Michigan Tech dropped at 19, by the way. Um, yes, did. Here's what I'm wondering, Nick. Um, if you're scheduling a holiday tournament and you kind of have a gauge on maybe where teams might be at, although this year has been kind of difficult. Sure. 
and you're a good team, let's say, you know, let's say you're St. Cloud, do you take on a team like RPI knowing that it might be an easy couple of victories, but the danger is if you drop one, right? Or do you take on a similar opponent that's going to be a tougher matchup, but at the same time, it's not going to hurt you if you split? I don't know. You have that choice, though. That's the thing is you're you're yeah. you're getting these holiday invites well in advance, probably in the summertime, right? So it's I think, you know, just like Brett Larson said before, right, they do have the control over their exhibition schedule slash their non-conference schedule. Yeah. Um, so and for Brett Larson, his mantra has been, I want a tougher schedule. I want to put our team to be in overdrive and, and have tough competition off the gate because it's going to keep us sharp. It's going to keep us in the game, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you look at it that way. You know what I mean? I understand your position. I don't know if, say, just based on how teams are this year, right? So Minnesota being a top tier team. I'm not sure if you're necessarily worried about that. But let's look at the parallels, right? Let's maybe look at a team, let's say Boston College, or let's maybe look at Minnesota State. Let's look at Omaha. Teams that... If you ask them honestly, right, they know they're not a top tier team, but they want to be competitive, right? Maybe you're looking at it through that lens, right? Which is, you know, do I want to, you know, put myself into a non-conference situation where it'll be good coming out of the break? It might be a good prep to get back into conference play. Um, but I think there is that scare, right, too, which is if you end up having an opponent that's not so great and you don't perform very well, just as much as it could be a confidence builder. Yeah, it could go the opposite way, right? So I think it depends on the team you're asking. Then um, at the end of the day, you really don't know until you start playing games, right? You know, it's a coach's decision before the season begins. It's all about how you prep and how you execute when the puck drops, unfortunately. Yeah, certainly would agree. Obviously, of course, taking a look at other at other NCHC teams, you drop down to 21, North Dakota and Western Michigan both tied in that spot. Bemidji State right there with them. Omaha at 26. Wisconsin still clinging on at 31 right next to Arizona State. How. Your favorite. I um, don't know how that's possible. Miami is at 36. Keep an eye on that one, obviously, for Huskies fans. Colorado College is at 40 still, which still, drives me bonkers. Um, Minnesota Duluth is at 43. And that rounds things out. St. Thomas for the other Minnesota schools is at 49, by the way. Mankato was at 24, as you had kind of mentioned. So, um, yeah, th those are your pairwise standings. Anything interesting? I did pull up the poll. St. Cloud is still at four. No first place votes for them last week. Um, but this is, of course, as of December 12th. So Denver, Quinnipiac, Minnesota uh, rounding out your top three there. So, in fact, besides Denver and St. Cloud, compared to pairwise and polling, I guess Western Michigan's at 18. That is it for your NCHC teams. So, um, yeah, it's mm -hmm. been kind of an interesting ride for uh, these groups, obviously. Moving over to the WCHA women here, uh, they had some games, some conference games going on, as well as some non-conference action. A roundup here for the conference game. Bemidji State traveling to St. Thomas, who had only had one shootout victory this season, and the Tommies had a sweep. Sweep. Yeah, it's a wow. big that's a big deal for this program, and that's a big deal for anybody who's trying to make sure that they don't have a monumental collapse in the second half. Both these teams are kind of cellar dwellers this year. Yeah. Uh, St. Thomas 3-1 and 5-2 in both these matchups, so a big loss for the Beavers who really kind of – this was kind of a big chance for them to maybe kind of get some games back and climb back up in the standings, not to be for them. No. Uh, Mankato non-conference against Long Island uh, – outscoring their opponent 13 to two on the weekend. Then Ohio state Saturday, Sunday against Cornell. We just have the Saturday score. It was four to three 
Ohio State narrowly eking out a victory. St. Cloud State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Duluth were all off. Um, mm-hmm. Bemidji State is now in last place in the WCHA, Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnesota actually is a top uh, the WCHA with a tiebreaker now. They must have just updated that. Yeah, because they've only lost one in regulation compared Correct. to two for Ohio State. So, yep. And then Wisconsin, uh, four points back at 37. Duluth is at 21. St. Cloud, two points back of them at 19. Mankato, three points back at 16. St. Thomas vaulting themselves from zero points a week and a half ago to eight now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bemidji State is still sitting at three. They are 115 and 0 in the WCHA. So. Yep. Not great. Yeah, it's been for both of those programs, St. Thomas and Bemidji. They're it's been tough. They're, they're kind of in their their own little class. Unfortunately, it's like we said, it's it's the top three, the middle three, and the bottom two. It's kind of how this conference has shaken up. But Nick, uh, the nice thing is, St. Cloud is not in the spot they have been historically, which would have been the bottom two. So, yeah. So uh, when we talked about some of the numbers from the last time uh, last week, I remember already eclipsing. You know their wins and their goals for um, some players already eclipsing their total season projections of last year already. So I, I still think, and I know that we've set the bar to be like in that fourth or fifth spot, right? Yeah. Um, they're five right now, in case people right. forgot. So and if and if they're able to maintain that, great. I know Mankato's uh, just nipping at their heels, even if they go. Oh geez, I would even say even to six. I hate to say it, but it's still fine. I th- I still think there's some success in that. Now, if you can get to four or five and stay there, you know, to give yourself a better chance would be better. But I still think you can take a lot more positives out of this year already, just based on what they have accomplished. Still, some room for improvement, of yeah. course. But man, they've had a marquee win against Minnesota. They've could have had a couple against the Gophers in the last series. Yeah. Uh, the Gophers had maybe some vengeance in their mind, but um, this women's hockey team, man, um, already making significant strides forward, and it's it's great to see. Yeah, this Duluth team is kind of a scary matchup, obviously, but here's the difference is, you know, if you're in four or five, you're probably going to get Duluth unless Mankato right. has a good run in the second half. Otherwise, if you drop to six, you're probably getting Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Ohio State, Minnesota. Um, so, yeah, yeah you'd like to kind of – keep that matchup in check obviously women's hockey is off along with the gophers bemidji duluth mankato and st thomas the only two teams that are playing ohio state travels to lindenwood and wisconsin plays saturday sunday against quinnipiac when we get back after christmas break of course for the men's team they're back in action for their exhibition game on the 30th before seeing minnesota the following weekend women's hockey will be playing the following weekend on the 6th and 7th with them new hampshire and merrimack will be the two opponents that they will have um, so yeah, Minnesota wild wise here, wild have three games upcoming this week, Ottawa today on Sunday, Anaheim on Wednesday, San Jose on Thursday, the last two being on the road, mm-hmm. uh, before they kind of reset for the following Tuesday against Winnipeg past week, two to one victory against Edmonton and four to one victories against Detroit and Chicago put them at 17, 11 and two 36 points. They're currently third in the central with a plus nine goal differential that has really risen in the past week. Uh, eight and two in their last 10, one of the best records in their last 10 uh, in the NHL. Um, a couple of talking points here, Nick. Number one, I know we've talked about him in various lights. You know who's looked really good as of late, I think, anyway? You're talking about Gustafson? Gustafson's look good, too. Um, defenseman. Talking about Dumba? 
Matt Dumba. Yeah. He's looked really good. Had that goal disallowed the one night, scored the next night, um, had a really good look in the last game against Chicago um, that he probably could have put one away too. He's kind of opened up a little bit offensively in the past week and a half. Um, it's been kind of impressive to see. I, this is, mm-hmm. um, of course, this is around the time last or back in 2019 when he had that injury against Calgary um, that kind of derailed everything. But uh, if you start to get some offensive punch from Matt Dumbo, like we saw in years past, like I said, it's only been a week. So, you, I mean, mm-hmm. nothing to take a huge thing out of. But I was thinking about that where I was like, you know, people talk about his defensive liability where he's actually not as porous as people want to make him out to be. But he does make some, you know, errors at time that are noticeable. Decision um, making more than anything. Yeah. But if you end up getting a little bit of offensive punch like we've seen in the past week and a half, that was kind of the the, the catch with Matt Dumba is if you got that, it kind of offset everything. I think he's been impressive in the past week. I don't know what you've you've seen, but. Uh, so here's what I've seen from Matt Dumba. He's activating. Um, from the point uh, it's been and I don't know because that was part of his game before again the big fight is he would pinch down he would essentially be a part of that you know that high cycle in the zone um, yeah. and mind you a lot of it has been you know the winger on that you know strong side and he's bolting down that weak side for that scene pass uh, again had that a uh, couple of good chances um, one that was like I said taken back so yeah. And again, it's sometimes, Noah, you can be effective, not that you convert, but because you're doing it, right? Because you're giving the team something to think about, um, where beforehand, maybe as a winger on the defensive side, you'd have to worry about Matt Dumma coming down. But now it's like, oh, crap, like he's, you know, there's a big interchange happening at the top of the zone now. So it's something you have to always account for. Right. Um, And we know that he's got the talent to put the puck in the net. Again, he had one. Technically, it was called back. So if he can at least be that person that you have to account for, that can step up, that can activate, that can be a fifth forward option um, and can be a passing option and a shooting option, that alone is a big step for his game. Yeah. Um, That goal that he scored that it did count, I believe, against Detroit was a really nice shot posting in on the blocker side, too. So Mm -hmm. um, the other player that I think actually has really impressed me as of late, um, it's a forward now. Would you would you like to take a guess since we're doing the guessing game here? Pretty Pretty Goudreau's been really good, too. Um, Newest addition to the Minnesota Wild. Sammy Walker. Well, Sammy Walker. Newest trade addition to the Minnesota Wild. Newest trade addition. Oh, you mean Ryan Reeves? Ryan Reeves. Yeah. He looks really good, I thought. Yeah. Uh, he's generated offense. He's been down low on the forecheck, making plays. Probably should have scored the other night. Uh, had a good one-time opportunity in the slot. Is he the most fleet of foot? No. no. Um, That's not why he's out there, though. But he's been really serviceable in the role that he's been in. Tallied a couple of points. Probably could have had a couple more. I think it's been an all-right fit in Minnesota. Um, is a fifth-rounder a tad high? Sure. But, I mean, they're kind of getting what was advertised. Yeah. And- yeah. He's having a bit of a little resurgence. And it's it's going to be interesting how they use it, right? Say when guys like Duhame and when guys like Hartman comes back. I know that's rumored that Hartman may come back tonight against yeah. Ottawa, right? Um, it's going to be strange because there is a role that Ryan Reeves plays that makes him incredibly effective, right? And it's with this last week. I think he's actually been playing very, very good in that role that... Um, he's been assigned to. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens. I I think Sammy Walker for sure goes back to Iowa, which is unfortunate because I think he's impressed enough, um, you know, with his call up. But what do you do with 
Connor Dewar? What do you do with Mason Shaw? There's some big decisions coming for GM Bill Guerin um, with some of these young players that, especially with Shaw and Dewar, they've been the most potent right. penalty killing forwards for for that's been a big reason why yeah. that TK has sort of rebounded. So when you take that into account, there's going to be some really tough decisions coming for them as far as lineup is concerned. Um, and whoever gets sent back down, I mean, you're going to have to make room. Unfortunately, neither player deserves that. It's just a matter of they're just they just don't have the room. That's and that's going to be unfortunate. Now, obviously, they're not going to send Ryan Reeves down. He'll be a press box guy, yeah. if anything. Yeah. Um, when guys come back, like you said, Sammy Walker might get the short end of the stake. You look at guys like Most Brandon like, Duhame, yeah. um, you know, that maybe you will have to see how they return. When we get to the point where everybody is healthy, is Ryan Reeves still in the lineup? I think he is a. I think it depends on the situation. I don't know if he's an everyday lineup choice. I think it depends on the opponent, but there is a place for Ryan Reeves in this lineup. I'll say I agree. Much. I um, and I think that's as a coaching staff, right? I mean, Noah, that's that's the one thing with casual hockey fans, right? Is they look at a player like Ryan Reeves, who he has a shall we say it's, he's a niche role essentially. Yeah. And it's the casual fans says, well, no, you know, they don't look at it that way. They say, okay, well, if he's not going to be that, then why have him anyway? Or it's like, well, no. In today's game, you have different opponents that have different strengths, and there are certain lineup combinations you can throw out there that give you a best chance to win, right? So, mm-hmm. for example, um, would you put Ryan Reeves in the lineup if you're facing the 20, 2007 2000 Calgary Flames? Absolutely, you would, right? Yeah. Are you going to put Ryan Reeves in the lineup if you're facing t- today's Edmonton Oilers group? Maybe, maybe not, right? It depends on you know how you play him, but there is a role for him. Um, and I think, again, his fit into the scheme and what Dean Evison wants has been good. Um, yeah. It took a little bit to figure it out, but there is a role for him. I think he will be with the squad in some shape or form. And more so, Ryan Reeves is brought in this team wants him for the playoffs. Let's be yeah. honest. I mean, he's a guy that even all he does is park his gigantic frame in front of the net. There's a lot that comes with that come playoff time. Huge. It's not what I thought you were going to say. But anyway, um, that's the that's the thing is. I want to know what you thought I was going to say. Yeah, um, we already know. But that's the thing is you you look at him and. There's no secret that this team has played taller with him in the lineup. I yeah. mean, they've been much more aggressive on the forecheck. He's really brought, I think, if anything, locker room cohesion and chemistry mm-hmm. and really kind of alleviated pressure from a guy like Marcus Felino, for example, to feel yes. like that he has the pressure to do sorts of, you know, these sorts of things and maybe focus a little bit more on his offensive game and his actual play on the ice. So it's been good. Like we talked about, Ottawa today on Sunday. Anaheim Wednesday, San Jose Thursday, and then the following Tuesday, they're in Winnipeg at home that Thursday against Dallas, and then on the road that Saturday uh, against St. Louis. So before we come back for our next show, so just to kind of give um, people um, essentially an overview of that. My final Minnesota Wild question for you here, um, in the Christmas color spirit, so to speak, which goaltender for the Minnesota Wild has the better reverse retro setup? Is it is it Philip Gustafson's retro style pads and helmet, or is it Mark Andre Fleury's new retro helmet and the all yellow pads? Oh, that's tough. That's um, a that's a I, the Wild have the best reverse retro setup for goaltenders in the, in the league. They do. Um, I don't know if I can pick honestly. Well, um, you have to because this is I our show. Know. This is our show. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go with Gustafson. I just like the old school yeah. because that's essentially what 
the whole idea is behind it, right? Yeah. So if you're making me pick one, I got to go with Gustafson. You know, even though they both they both look straight awesome. I think, yeah, exactly. I think when you look at an isolated capacity, Gustafson's looks better. Like if you're just looking at him only, I think during the play on the TV broadcast, I think Flurry's really pops more. It gives that real mm-hmm. old school, you know, vibe of the just one straight color pad um, sort of thing. So I, like you said, I love them both. I think Mark Andre Flurry gets the cake for me. Plus, anytime you see Flurry in the old retro yellow style. Did you know, I, I was actually talking with my broadcast partner when we went down to Bismarck yesterday. Do you know the reason why Marc-Andre Fleury actually stopped wearing his yellow pads? Was he getting lit up on him? So what happened was there was actually a fan of the Pittsburgh Penguins back in the day that was an optometrist that sent a letter to the Penguins talking about how um, these bright colors make it easier for shooters to be able to see where they're shooting. Yep. where they're shooting, um, how much of that you take into stock, I don't know because the goaltending save percentage hasn't changed wildly. But right. with that being said, Flurry changed to white pads because white is supposed to blend into the ice and be able to, you know, not be able to be seen as effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was interviewed about it, and that's why we've seen this big switch to these goalies who wore all white pads for a long while before he kind of realized, well, I'm either stopping the puck or I'm not. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. But that is actually the reason why those bright yellow pads actually disappeared from Marc-Andre Fleury for a while is because an optometrist fan wrote into the Pittsburgh Penguins and told him this. And they ended up interviewing this optometrist and things like that. Like, what a crazy concept. It's really not if you think about it, though. There's there's a lot of, shall we say, science behind colors, right? Yeah. We know that blue is more of a relaxing color, red more of like holy crap, a danger color kind of thing. So there it's out there. Yeah. Um, and I think just sometimes, you know, when you're looking at it from one lens, right, which is a aesthetic lens, you know, yeah. you forget that, wait, my job is still to stop the puck. And you forget that sometimes those colors in contrast make it easier to find where those pads are not. Yeah, I guess so. I, yeah, right. So yeah, kind of a wild thing that, you know, a fan would write in and be able to have that sort of influence on the NHL. So uh, what a crazy trend. Kudos, right? Well, let's talk about crazy trends here. Fan questions here. We're going to get to them. We only have a couple here, but we appreciate those who uh, did reach out. Of course, Derek and Caleb in here as always. And then more clappers, Weldy, uh, throwing in here. First, the St. Cloud State question. Um, Spencer Meyer comes back. Who sits? This is not the answer that is as simple as it seems, right? Because if you yeah. look at the lineups Friday, Saturday, Brett Larson has been rotating defensemen in and mm-hmm. out. So, but if I had to guess, if there was a defenseman that sort of gets pushed to the side, it's Brady Zimmer. Yeah. Um, I only say that not because I don't like Brady Zimmer. I think his game is getting better. I think his game certainly has more of a physical side. But when you've looked at the lineups, he's been throwing in Cooper Wiley, uh, Mason Reiners. Uh, so there's, shall we say, Brady Zimmer hasn't always been in that uh, in that rotation, and yeah. it's it's it, it's tough, right? Because we don't just like Ryan Reeves. Brady Zimmer also has a role that he can play, especially against teams that are more physical, right? So it's it's not a you pick one person and that's it, right? There's there, we haven't seen a static lineup yet from the blue end, and even that was with. Uh, yeah. Uh, Meyer inside uh, in the lineup. So I don't know if it's as simple as that, but I think here's what we can say, right? Noah's that is 
when you get to after the holiday break, I know Brett Larson and most coaches, they want to stabilize the lineup, right? They want to get something much more consistent. Now, with the plethora of depth that they have and knowing, shall I say, maybe an exposed shortfall from last playoff time, I wonder if Brett Larson will keep that rotation in, right? So it's hard to pick up one guy, but if I had to guess, it's Brady Zimmer. I don't know if you have a different team. Yeah, Brady Zimmer, maybe Cooper Wiley a little bit. They've kind of rotated back and forth. Maybe Mason Riders, if you throw them in there. Let's not forget, by the way, we we did not mention Brendan Bushy will be missing the exhibition game. He did get a one-game suspension for his hit in Miami, so it does count towards that exhibition mm-hmm. yep. game. So we will be missing him for, obviously, that matchup before we get the Gophers in that one. But yeah, I thought it was kind of a curious question. It's a good little question there. Um, Caleb wants to know, are you going to buy him dinner if the Huskies win the Natty? Well, let me ask you this. Why does it have to be like that? He keeps whining about it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you could just text, hey, do you want to go out for beers? And I mean, you send him the picture when I was in Minot. I say, I say yeah, Nick will buy you dinner. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if it, it can be, you know, the chicken, you know, whatever it wants to be there at, uh, at Raising Cane's, well, it doesn't <laughs> matter. If he wants, if he wants the chicken and the sauce, I, I can... I think I think it's funny because uh, um, the, we we enlightened him on the fact that the chicken, when you actually were part of that gift, was actually cold by the time that you it was got it. Ice cold. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this before, but yeah, I mean that that was two hours old. I mean it was yeah. it was freaking gross. <laughs> uh, and so the head nod for for those I know I got a lot of flack for the head nod. I, you know I had to sell it like I because I knew yeah. that. When when you, especially with food, I think no. When, I, I, when, I think it would have been way better if you would have just taken a bite and just thrown up all over the right. The and that was table. that was kind of my fear is like you know it's hard sometimes like you just have those unnatural emotions that sometimes you just can't control. Yeah. And so my thing was okay. I kind of go I have to go into Leonardo DiCaprio mode and like actually feel like I'm enjoying. It. If I nod my head to do something small like that, it'll come off as this is a hot right out of the fryer chicken and fries, uh, and the drink that was empty. There was nothing yeah. in there, so I had dried, <laughs> cold chicken tender in my mouth with nothing to wash it down. It was <laughs> god awful. But for those who watched it, I think I sold. I think yeah. I sold a bit pretty well. Why did you just describe our podcast? I feel like that was a good description of I mean, how palatable we are. I mean, Although when you say when you're going into Leonardo DiCaprio mode, he's getting older, and if you know what that means, that's maybe not the best thing. Um, with that being said, you though, know, with Leo DiCaprio though, is well, his significant others have been stay in the same age yeah <laughs> yikes well let's well, let's talk about uh age-related hockey questions here um yeah i, I didn't go over as well as i wanted to <laughs> yeah i'm i'm scared um derek derek asked yep, which you're is above the cutoff line <laughs> <laughs> derek asked you know i just turned 26 oh my god you're right um, <laughs> um derek asked he says which is worse the cost of youth sports or the parents that drive players and coaches and officials out of the game because they can't control themselves i like how this is the best part of the question after that he says pick one or the other like we thanks Derek. so you set we, up we, so we, can i rephrase it so you set up the trap question knowing both suck but yet want us to pick one i also is, enjoy is that, is that what I, this is i also enjoy pick one or the other like this is our show Derek. we're gonna do what we want um <laughs> so let's do it this way because he mentioned that and because i'm the person that i am i'm gonna blow that question out of the water um because this is what i do um Derek, let's let's be honest, man. Both suck when you and because I'm older, right? I remember going to Westwood Sports in Bloomington when it was still yeah. there, um, and grabbing 
a $25 Sherwood wood stick. It was a Paul yeah. Coffey curve for those score, who are curious. Scored better with it than he does now, but yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, and it was 25 bucks. And then the pair of skates was a hundred bucks. Yeah. Now, back then, mind you, my family, I was one of four kids and my grandma paid for that. Um, and it's funny when you get older and you, you realize when you get older, especially when you get into college, right? When every penny counts and you just, geez, like it, 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 it I'm getting a little bit sentimental here, but I'm setting up the bit here a little bit. And you don't really appreciate that until you get in this position, right? Which is, geez, but it's even more magnified now to Derek's point, which is a stick now is 300 bucks. Yeah. And in terms of skill development, if you're a family that has, a you know, either a lower budget or shall we say has lots of kids, and they're doing like my sister was in gymnastics. They were in figure skating. Um, my other sister did floor hockey and a whole bunch of stuff that heads up. Yeah. And sure, you can go to Dix and buy the 25 to gosh, I think the Woodstock's now close yeah. to 50 bucks. They, now. they do have some programs that allow for like used gear or like, yeah, that sort of thing too, which is good, which um, is good. But at the end of the day, if I'm picking up a wood stick compared to, I mean, just the feel and the skill development that is just completely different, right? So you're falling behind. Yeah. And so that sucks because there is a gap there, right? There is a huge financial burden, especially in the game of hockey. We've talked about that before. Yes, the equipment drives. So played against sports, I know, was a good spot to yeah, find some slightly st- used still, gear. Still is, and you can find some really good. The, the one thing that's nice about played against sports is they have a lot of times some retro, not retro, like older gear from like actual college or NHL yeah. teams, and you can find pro stock stuff. I'm telling you, if you were like me where you were a skinny kid where you always hit your hips against the boards with the regular um, pants or breezers that you wore, if you get a set of pro stock, like I have some old Easton – St. Cloud State ones, my hips have never been hurt since because they have that double padding um, yep. that's so nice to have. They're a little bit heavier, but you know, I, I'll take that with not bruising my hips time and time right. again. But so aside all that, say you, you know, kids on the ice and they're having fun, right? Now the parents and K fan had a bit on this with uh, a basketball refs and you know, those kind of things and to be honest with you, both contribute to a negative experience for the kid and the player, right? Let's be honest. Um, yeah. It sucks when, you know, especially what's even, let's go back like seven, eight years, right? When the, really the pricing and, and, you know, the big equipment revolution kind of came about, right? Was, I think that's a proper way to phrase it. Yeah. And, you know, your friends have got the Easton S7s or the S19 or, you know, they kept going with that S line for a while, the stealth line, yeah. um, the new Bauer Nexus and whatnot. And you're sitting there with a CCM wind stick, right? It, it's that's one part. And then you go out there and then you're hearing, let's go with my mom. My mom is five foot four. And you would think that the way she screamed it, she was six foot 10. Yeah. Um, she, her voice, and maybe just because it's the pitch and maybe Marissa Voss could attest to this because she's probably that same size. Um, the voice hurts, just cut through everything. So despite me being a lot of my growing up, the smallest player on the ice, every time that I went to hit somebody, I could pick out the one voice in the crowd yeah. that was exclamated about everything. Now, my mom wasn't to the point that Derek's getting at. My mom was never like the blowing up the refs or fighting other parents she wasn't like that she was like no let's let's come on i need a beer let's go let's let's go to the bar right um but the parents nowadays because it's it's just again you're spending that money i think that's part of it so you want some return on investment right so you're 
if your kid doesn't get the goal, it's called back. It's the rest's fault. And it's it's getting way out of hand. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you're a player on the ice, and I, I'm sure, Noah, you could attest, not by personal experience, but maybe by being in a situation or hearing it from somebody else. Yeah, or officiating. Right. It's embarrassing, right? Where yeah. it's, you know, it's like, dude, it's just a game. Or, you know, on the bench, it's like, is that your mom in the stands? Yeah. Yeah. It's my yeah. Mom. You yeah, know, I'll, and, I'll and it's in a corner. And it's interesting, too, because it's one thing where it's like, you know, when I talk about like officiating too, when I do officiating, um, it's one thing if it's five five with a minute left and you're playing in the playoffs. I get, right. I get the frustration, I get the animosity. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, at a youth game, it's usually not that serious most of the time. And you talk about this question, Nick. You know, and, and he asks, you know, which is worse? There is, I'll put it this way: there is one in my mind. I don't think they're close. I think there's one that's definitively way worse no right now. And I think, but I think there's one that has gotten way worse. Yeah. If that makes sense. So the one that has gotten way worse is the cost of equipment. It's been absurd. Yes. Like you mentioned, if you want a tip, by the way, if you're buying gear, especially as your kids get older, skates, the top of the line skates are $1,100, $1,100. Next line down is usually about 600. Yeah. And then you have the ones that are like 400, then ones that are like 200. And then you have maybe one more that's just like a, basic skate yeah i wear i wear the like the 400 skates because they're good enough for men's league where i'm not i don't need them to survive that wear and tear and that was the only reason for buying the most expensive skate but i only got to that point when i was in high school and college like at mm -hmm. that point it made sense to buy a skate that was going to handle the wear and tear if you're anywhere below that or even like a freshman in high school or below buy the next model down from the most expensive one because all that model is is last year's model revamped and that was the brand new skate a year ago yep and it's now the second skate but it's still a fantastic skate that you can take for half the price yep. and that's what you have to buy so that has gotten way worse the cost of sticks is absolutely absurd like you mentioned i miss the feel of a wood blade because you can feel the puck so much better they just yep. disintegrate so quickly compared to composite uh, shafts and blades but as far as what is worse fundamentally, and it hasn't changed, and nope. in fact, maybe has gotten a little bit worse, parents who are irrational or irresponsible at a hockey mm -hmm. rink just ruin the entire experience, you know? Right. And it's one thing to, you know, my dad obviously, you know, was a hockey guy through and through and was pretty quiet and didn't, you know, chime in very much. He would have the very occasional one where he'd be like, you know, like if it was a hit from behind, he's like, you got to call that, you know, like things that are dangerous and well warranted yeah. yeah exactly but beyond that he wasn't on the refs he was sitting he was watching the hockey game to me when you have a parent especially as an official or even players who are kind of that way towards officials when you have teams that bring whatever capacity of parent fan coach mix whatever and they're disruptive to the way that you're trying to officiate the game even if you call a poor game you have no time for them you don't want to listen to them you don't want to deal with it you don't respect what they say because they're they're feeding you line after line after line and the problem with that is if you even if you have players on that team who you know one or two that is a chatterbox who just likes to chirp and chirp and chirp well then if you're a player who has a legitimate complaint or a legit legitimate gripe and you're not wearing a letter the official's not going to listen to you because no. how how do they pick out what's serious and what's not or what matters and what doesn't i think fan or having parents who are extremely disruptive is awful um, and that's and this is true across all youth sports, by the way. It's not just hockey. Yeah, uh, we we see and we hear about it in hockey just because it seems to be 
quite egregious when it's there, yeah. but you know, basketball refs, uh, baseball, softball. I, I think it's, I think it's worse at the parent level in hockey. I think professional sports, it's worse at a fan level for other sports. Yeah. You know, like football games, you can get some pretty crazy stuff happening at a football game. For example, baseball right. games are usually pretty chill. Um, unless you're Steve Bartman, um, you know, so, um, <laughs> the other question he asks is what would be the hockey penalty for biting someone's finger off during a fight? And have either of you gotten into a fight in the stands before? Um, oh my God, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not gotten into a fight in the stands. No. I, I've, I guess I should say I've stepped in front of people who have gotten aggressive towards other people, but I've never swung at somebody no. and never had the intention of like starting a fight. Definitely just more like no. crowd crowd control kind of thing. I'm um, trying to trying to be the voice of reason. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, which uh, my voice doesn't carry very well to begin with, but I. Uh, Depends on which fan base you're talking to, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, you know what's actually kind of a bad fan base for some craziness like this that has kind of emerged recently? The hmm. Avs. Yeah. So some of the Colorado fans get kind of crazy. Um, uh, yeah. That's the thing. It's like, it's one thing to be aggressive and be into your team, but you got to like just chillax. It's okay. And stop right. having so many beers. Um, but the other the breweries would attach to the freaking arena. Yeah. True. <laughs> um, but nice going summit. Um, I know, but, right? <laughs> but anyway, uh, the hockey penalty for biting someone's finger off, uh, I believe it's intent to injure. It, it would not? be, yeah, I think intent it, to it, injure. It would it'd be a match penalty and a, and a game be, ejection. It would be a match penalty with the game misconduct because yeah. uh, remember Brady Kachuk, right? Brady, and, and Brady uh, Kachuk, Brandon Lemieux, yeah. Because uh, it, well, wait, was it was it biting or was it eating? As according to Steve Nichols, <laughs> it bit him twice, it's eating. Yeah, um, yeah it's. It's it's bad too because it's like why like even just it's the why yeah. you know it's, uh, Alex Alex Burroughs did that a couple of years ago Mike Tyson did, right. um you know Max that's, Lop, wasn't Max Lapierre part of that too or am I making that up well that's the thing it's like we talked about the kicking video last week too there's never yep. been a real reason to like that I've thought where I've like you know what this is a good idea now right if someone was like. If they had their glove over my face and they had their like fingers literally in my mouth and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't smoke, get away, yeah. yeah, then I then I'm probably going for it. But it's like that, other than that's, that, that's, that's a, like self defense almost. Yeah, that's that's not like you're doing it because you want to do it. You're doing it because you have to do it. Yeah, right. like like I eat a balanced breakfast. I don't need any more than um, yeah. <laughs> a ba- oh, a balanced breakfast for those playing the home game. Uh, a balanced breakfast to Noah is eating half of what's on the farm field. Um, so you know, you know what? I <laughs> have you ever had farm fresh eggs? You haven't lived until you've had farm fresh eggs. I'm just throwing that out there. I've actually, had it a couple of times, and yes, they are damn good. Yeah, they're unreal. I know. They're, um, it's 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 amazing when you have the what, what do you want to call it? farm to table essentially. You know, yeah. like that farm kind fresh, of fresh, yeah, farm whatever. fresh, yeah, the, yeah. The differences in it. You know, I, I get the whole like organic organics thing, even though I think nowadays the organic thing is more of a marketing tool than it actually is promising. Yeah. But that farm fresh stuff, I know that there are even, shall we say, like meat producers in Iowa and in uh, other parts of the globe are, or I shouldn't say the globe, but the US where it's like you get to you have to sign up and you get their meat stock at fall and that's it. And yeah. you prepaint advance and then like it's. It's like a meat raffle in a sense where half of it, well, more than half, it's going to go in your freezer, but it's fresh stuff, you know, yeah. and it's the taste differences. Yeah. Farm Don't fresh stuff. Go, I, yeah. yeah. Food, deer sausage. Obviously we used to have that all the time. We'd have uh, what was called breakfast club. I think they still do it where you would skate every Wednesday and then there would be a parent group that would come in and make you food after you skated before you went to school in the morning. 
that was awesome. Farm fresh eggs, you know, they're excellent, obviously. Um, but uh, you, you didn't like that one, uh, <laughs> you know. So that's Just the not new. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the end of the main portion of the show. Before we get to the World Junior uh, preview, I mean, do you have any? Yeah, that one didn't make me cluckle. So. <laughs> I'm scared. Uh, (laughs) Do you have any other like Christmas traditions? Are there like certain movies that you watch during Christmas? I mean, Home Alone, obviously, I think a lot of people watch that. A Christmas Story, It's a Wonderful Life. Christmas Um, Vacation is what our family will put on because we like to laugh. And uh, I I think, again, you you can watch a movie like that and you can pick out a character and say, yep, that's this person in your own family, right? Yeah. Yeah. shitter was full uh so (laughs) i watched uh we always have a marathon we always have the harry potter marathon i don't know why we do it over christmas but we watch all the movies um yeah watching i don't know why that ever came about i think i came home one christmas in college like my freshman year and we ended up watching through them all and now we do it every year for whatever reason um a couple of others like feel good movies or like movies that always make me happy i watched um you know, it's interesting. Speaking of hockey and quirks and things that you notice about movies, I was watching Goon, the original, you know, movie. Oh, yeah. Because, of course, I watched Slapshot the other night, too. So um, I was kind of going on a hockey movie craze. But it's interesting. Was Miracle um, next? No. Um, <laughs> I actually haven't watched Miracle in a long time, but I can probably quote that movie from tip to tail. Probably. And uh, it, what's interesting about Goon is I love picking out the little, like, uh, breaks in continuity, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And when they end up going and playing in Quebec, which is actually the MTS center um, in Winnipeg is where they, <laughs> where, where, where they filmed it. Most of the film was filmed in Portage La Prairie, um, even though it's said that it's in Halifax, but it's most of it's in Portage. And uh, so when they go to the MTS center and they're playing and the fans are packed, there's two things that are absolutely hilarious that I love about this movie is one you look at the game that's on the ice compared to the players. The jerseys aren't even the same because it's an exhibition game in 2010 between the Chicago Blackhawks and Tampa Bay Lightning in Winnipeg. And they've taken Chicago's red jerseys and and color chromed them to blue, which is hilarious because you look hmm. in the stands and you look at the jerseys. So the, like, the, like the overarching shots of the building – are actually from that exhibition game and then they've whited out like the power bands and stuff to make it look like it's part of the and they they overlaid the the graphics on the jumbotron so there's part one and then part two for those who don't know when they do a lot of fan scenes in movies they only have maybe two or three hundred fans and they have them sit at various spots in the arena so that they can catch the shot that they're looking for and then they have them move around you know to make sure that they you know get the shot it's funny they have um, a couple of scenes where they're right near the benches and getting ready to play the game and there's fans right behind the benches. And if you look on either side of the two shots that they have, it's cardboard cutouts of people um, <laughs> that you could see in the background. So it, I, I love quirks like that. That's one of my favorite things about watching movies is I like picking out because of course, Nick, as you and I know, we both, you know, have a little bit of broadcasting camera experience too, as well too, and like to kind of t- a little kind bit, of, yeah, quite a few. But anyway, yeah, like <laughs> like to kind of pick through those things and think about how yeah. did they how did they do this shot? How did they you know yes. make this happen? How did they how did they edit this in post or that sort of thing? So I love picking out quirks like that. That's one of my favorite parts about watching movies. But do you have any other go to movies, Christmas traditions, like Christmas meal type things? Yeah, I, it hasn't been as much recently just because the weather has been. Actually, the last few years have been warm. Yeah. Usually, we would go, uh, we would skate. We actually, yeah. we would actually go to a local Same. rink and skate. Um, this year, actually, if the rinks are ready, actually, might 
actually be possible depending yeah. on if the weather stays like this. Because um, we used to go to my grandfather's in Bloomington and he literally borders a city park. So we had a rink. So we would Same. bring our skits and our uh, skits and our skates. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sticks have, and skates for those who can enunciate. Yeah, um, I have cousins in Farmington, Lakeville area and they, they're they right yeah. next to a park. So we used to do that too. We'd go and skate on that outdoor rink during Christmas time. So, um, so that would be another one that has been not as prominent as a reason just because of weather weather uh, last couple i mean it's been warm but yeah. i think we're gonna get lucky this year um beyond that not uh, so i guess the big thing is so with my immediate family what we would do is we'd stay up till midnight <laughs> um and then we would the, depending on how many schnapps you have yeah, right <laughs> yeah it depends on what the flavor too um so uh but we would actually open gifts that night um and then we would go to bed and then christmas day is more of a chill day um so what we used to do though as a kid is when i used to live in bloomington is i had cousins in apple valley would actually would go to my mom's side on christmas eve then my dad's side christmas day um both not very long drives but that's kind of how we'd split it yeah um so that was that was nuts um I do remember it's kind of funny like you think back to your childhood too the the one of the best christmas memories I've ever had most of them we spent at home but we went and visited my grandparents in Alexandria when I was a kid and I was I was like 6 or 7 and my dad that year got me a PlayStation 2 oh boy with NHL 06 and that was the first game that we played and that was nice. that was christmas and a half you know for a yeah, hockey kid yeah, right yeah. I mean that was unreal so and that was kind of the start of the video game craze so I mean it was a lot of fun. It's just fun to look back and kind of think about, you know, tr- Christmas traditions. And it's just, it's such a wonderful time of year. It's a great year for giving like the Minotauros. They do a teddy bear toss night and give, you know, donations to local charities and the teddy bears go to kids in need. And that's, that's awesome. They get a thousand teddy bears every time, you know, so mm-hmm. there's some of these games in the EC or the, the AHL that are pulling, you know, nine, 10,000 teddy bears during some of these games. It's just fantastic. Um, heck of a cleanup, but yeah. Uh, fantastic as always well let's talk about uh what should hopefully be a very well attended event hopefully uh this upcoming uh couple of weeks here the world juniors as we head on to our extra ice session And welcome into the Extra Ice Session, Huskies Warming House Podcast. Uh, last little bit here of 2022 before we flip over to the calendar year. And we're going to talk USA, Canada, and the like World Junior Championship. Rosters have been out for both teams. So, of course, we have uh, both teams, meaning the U.S. and Canada, because I'm assuming we're interested in both of them. Usually. Um, <laughs> which one do you want to start with for rosters? I, I, with I should, U.S. Yeah. Um, I should also see. Um, I should see if the schedule is up. Um, by the way, I'm assuming it is. Should um, be. Let's take a look here. I always forget it's the 2023. Of course, games start on Monday, December 26th. It will end on January 5th, that Thursday. Um, mm-hmm. It is when things will kind of be ramping down. So one of our shows will be right in the middle of the medal round, actually. So uh, looking at the schedule here, um, let's start here. Uh, the U.S., We'll start on the 26th. They'll have Latvia. Canada will start with the Czechs um, for their first matchup uh, moving through there. Uh, then after that, 27th, both teams are off. The 28th, the U.S. has Slovakia. Canada has Germany. Um, U.S. plays again on the 29th against Switzerland. And Canada has Austria the same day. And then U.S. doesn't play till the 31st. They've got Finland and Canada and Sweden have each other. So 
Um, these two teams will actually, I believe, not match up during the prelims, which is something that is fairly common usually. Um, mm -hmm. I do not see the matchup for that as well, too. In fact, let's look at the pools here. I'm assuming that the... Yeah, so Group A is Canada, Sweden, the Czechs, Germans, and the Austrians. And then Group B is headlined by the U.S., the Finns, the Swiss, the Slovaks, and the Latvians. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of your breakdown for what's going on. As you mentioned, let's start with the U.S. Why don't we? Um, on the forward side of things, Jackson Blake from the University of North Dakota. Good to see him kind of get that jump, obviously, to it. Obviously, looking for a little bit more, I think, in conference play. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the Carolina Hurricanes draft pick for him. Uh, Gavin Brindley coming from Michigan. He is draft eligible this year. Um, Tyler Boucher in the OHL for Ottawa. He's a Sens draft pick. Kenny Connors from UMass in the NCAA. Uh, LA Kings pick. Logan Cooley, no surprise here for Minnesota. Uh, third overall pick of Arizona last year in the draft. Logan Cooley, heard a lot of really great things about him, by the way, about his character and who he is off the ice and just a really nice dude. Mm -hmm. um, is the, do you do you feel like Logan Cooley, um, you know, hopefully he's going to have a good showing at, at the World Juniors, but do you feel like he's a player that is going to be a consistent NHL player, like a top six guy? I do. Uh, In Arizona, probably. But do you feel like on any team he would crack a lineup? I know? do. Yeah, just his skill set, his maturity, I think, is what's setting him apart at his age right now. I think, you know, when you look at young players, and, and we talked about this with – at least initially with Bedard, uh, not with Bedard, but with um, with Shane Wright, you know, yeah. which was there were questions about his maturity, even though that seems to be less of a storyline now with him, which is good. Um, yeah. But it's always nice when you, as NHL play, you know, teams, right? You go and you interview these draft picks, right? And yes, you you know the hockey, right? At this point, when you're a top five potential draft pick, you know what they are as players, right? But the other side of it is who they are as people, right? Mm -hmm. um, Let's go back to the Minnesota Wild, Zach Parisi, Ryan Suter, right? They're decent hockey players. Yeah, they have regressed a little bit, but part of the reason why they were able, they, they slashed him with a huge cap implications is supposedly they were not the best fits in the locker room, right? Yeah. Um, Logan Cooley is not that kind of person. It seems like the, the maturity is there. He's, he's got leadership qualities. And so when you have the skill set on the ice with the ability to be a locker room presence and a leader off the ice, what more can you ask, right? And so yeah. with those attributes, you can go into any NHL organization, any locker room and be a contributor both on and off the ice. So that's yeah, it. Certainly fifth in NCAA point production, 25 points in 19 games. Uh, of Pretty course, decent. has 10 goals on the season, as does Cutter Gauthier for Boston College. He's a Philadelphia Flyers draft pick. So mm -hmm. um, six assists for him across 13 contests for Boston College. Of course, Logan Cooley, Red Savage from Miami of Ohio, a Red Wings pick. Uh, and then Charlie Strammel from Wisconsin, who's draft eligible, all played in the rescheduled World Juniors back in August. Uh, other Golden Gophers, Jimmy Snuggerud, St. Louis yep. Blues draft pick, and then former Gopher Chaz Lucius uh, in, in the AHL with Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba organization. Uh, Noah Laba from Colorado College. Um, good to see a CC Tiger on here, a New York Rangers draft pick. So um, mm -hmm. the Tigers, I think, hopefully are going to add more to this list as we go. Uh, Dylan, Dylan Duke from Michigan, uh, Sam Lipkin from Quinnipiac, uh, Rutger McGrory, that's a handful of a name uh, from Michigan as well. Um, and that rounds out our forward group on the defensive side. We do have some, some hometown love here for St. Cloud state. We'll get to that at the end here. Mm -hmm. uh, Sean Barron's uh, from Denver. Uh, you, you mentioned him and his ability, how he kind of turned heads at the Colorado avalanche uh, 
prospect showcase. Uh, he's a guy that you kind of feel maybe might make the jump to the next level. Most likely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Seamus Casey uh, from Michigan. A lot of Michigan Wolverines still. Uh, yeah. New Jersey Devil pick. Ryan Chesley from Minnesota. A lot of Gophers, but no surprise there. The Gophers are good this year. Uh, yes. He's a Caps draft pick. Um, another Michigan Wolverine, Luke Hughes. That one's not surprising. No, uh, of course, the Devils. Stretch of the imagination. Devils draft pick. Uh, Luke Middlestat from Minnesota, who's draft eligible. Uh, Lane Hudson from uh, Boston. And then Ryan Ufko from UMass, who's a Preds draft pick. And then, of course, the last one, Jack Peart, St. Cloud State, Minnesota yep. Wild draft pick. Uh, what do you expect from Jack in this tournament? Obviously, had a had a showing, of course, um, along with Hughes, Barons, um, that are returning to this squad on the backside here. Do you mm. expect Jack Peart to have a little bit better showing than he did in August? Yeah. It's hard to say, and I know that's weird to because just because they weren't really using him, they were kind of using him as a bottom three role on uh, the last yeah. time. Now, Jack, the, the big knock on Jack has been, shall we say, the lack of footwork sometimes, right? Is sometimes like he's a great passer, but sometimes is a little bit, you know, shall we say, hesitant to use his feet. Um, yeah. So if he is going to have a better showing, going to have to be a little bit more, shall we say, um, movable especially yeah. in his own end. Um, so if he's able to use his feet, which again, he's not the most fleet of foot defenseman, but he's just incredibly good on the IQ side. Right. Then he will have a good showing. And that's going to be the key to his success is can he find that combination of thinking while moving? Uh, because right. if he does that, I mean, we saw the same, essentially the same growth with Nick Perbix over his career with St. Cloud, which is, you know, we saw that the, the smarts were there, um, makes the right reads, but just sometimes did it standing still. Um, and I think if he's able to find that combination, yes. And for him, and I think for his own development, that's the next stage of his game. Um, and if he's able to do that, yeah, he'll have a better showing. Yeah, certainly, certainly would agree. I was trying to look at the pronunciation guide for our netminders here because I, I and always Berko. struggle. No, Caden and Berko, I know it. I always, yep. Andrew, I, I feel like it's Oki. Um, however you say it, it, it wasn't. I think it is Oki. Yeah, um, think. coming from um, Saginaw in the OHL. Um, of course, him and Caden Emberico from CC are back in the Nets. And then Trey Augustine from uh, the U.S. National Development Program, future Michigan State um, Spartan draft eligible. All three of these net miners draft eligible. So uh, goaltending-wise, hopefully uh, the U.S. can have a, a good showing from Emberico, who I thought looked all right for most of the tournament, obviously let in a uh, goal he probably wanted to have back in, in one of the pivotal games, of course. But uh, like we said, December 26th, they start um, in both Halifax and Moncton. Uh, the U.S., like we mentioned, Finland, Finland, Latvia, Slovakia, Switzerland. Um, preliminary round play taking place in New Brunswick. Um, they'll have two pre-tournament games in Canada against Sweden on Monday um, and then Finland on Wednesday. So um, kind of pay attention to that as we move through. On the other side of things, Canada's roster highlighted by Caden uh, Bank here, of course, Minnesota Wild draft pick uh, on the forward side. So good to see that. Some Wild draft picks that did make it and some that we thought were going to make it that didn't make it. So uh, kind of a bit of a flip-flop. Of course, the name to watch here, Connor Bedard from Regina yeah. in the dub. Um, probably the consensus number one overall pick uh, coming into this matchup uh, for the Canadians. Of course, like we mentioned, the Canadians – um, have four games as well. I don't know who their who their pre their pre tournament games are, but uh, Cole, Robin, yeah, 
Yeah, Colton Doc um, from Kelowna, Zach Dean, Adam Fantilli from Michigan. Um, He's good. Yeah. Nathan Goucher, Dylan Gunther, um, who's with Arizona right now playing um, mm-hmm. in the NHL. Uh, Zach Osta. Ostapchuk for Vancouver in the dub. Brennan Othman for Peterborough. Um, Joshua Roy, Reed Schaefer, Logan Stankman, and Shane Wright. Of course, Reed Schaefer and Shane Wright both um, uh, in Seattle, one in the NHL, one in the WHL. So that's your forward group defensive side. Nolan Allen in the WHL for Seattle as well. Brant Clark, Ethan Del Maestro, Tyson Hins, Kevin Korchinski in the dub with Seattle as well. A lot of Seattle um, Thunderbirds. Uh, Jack. Mm-hmm. Jack Medier, Medier, however you say that, and Olin Zellweger, who of course is a, a great defenseman, obviously Anaheim Ducks draft pick. So you really only have uh, actually one NCAA player on here, and that's Adam Fantilli from Michigan on the forward side. Then in net, only two netminders, uh, Thomas Milich, Milich uh, yeah, and Benjamin yeah. Goudreau from Sarnia in the OHL uh, San Jose draft pick. So, uh, Bedard, Maestro, Gauthier, Ostapachuk, Othman, Roy, Stankovan, and Zellweger return uh, to the squad. Um, the final cuts were Owen Beck, um, Carson Lambos, of course, Minnesota Wild mm-hmm. draft pick, um, Ryan Green, a couple of guys that were maybe surprising cuts for this team here. I, Which team, uh, the, the obvious question, which team do you think has the edge right now? I think Canada does, honestly. Uh, just because the, I think the top end talent is there. Um, I think it's hard because, and I like their back end too. I like their back end is a little bit more, uh, deep than the USA. Um, but Jack Pierce though, Nick, that's the, I know, right. Um, (laughs) now the big question for Canada has always been goaltending, right? Yeah. Uh, Which has still been a question mark entering this tournament. It has been. So, and that's the thing is when, when Canada has been successful, it's, it's come down to their goaltending. Um, They've had good goaltending because I think at the end of it, the, there's no, been no question about their four group and the defenseman group. It's been, can they get the right stops? Um, So if there's any Achilles heel, which hard to see with anything with team Canada, it's going to come down to in between the pipes where I think that's where, if there's any advantage for the USA over candidates, it's going to be in goals. And I think Caden Ambarico is, is there. Trey Augustine's been good. Um, so it depends on how those guys perform. Um, if, But I, I think if you're going to match up four defensemen, Canada's got the edge. You know, what's interesting is basically basically a CHL versus NCAA. Pretty much. Matchup yeah. between, between these two squads here. Um, you know, and we talk about the development, obviously, and the path that you take, WHL, OHL, um, for sure, maybe the Q as well. A little more NHL ready with the physical grit um, yep. as far as, you know, youth players that can make that jump. NCAA a little bit more where guys that are a little bit more raw, but they develop into these big, strong players if they ride out, you know, two, three, four years uh, mm-hmm. at the NCAA level. You know, but it's kind of interesting. Canada still was the team to beat for the longest time until maybe the 2010s, John Carlson's overtime winner uh, in that world junior. What a, what a great year for hockey 2010 was by the way, both on the Olympic stage and world junior as well. Of course the 2010 world juniors happened in 2009, technically, you know, like a couple months before, but regardless of that, uh, it's great to see where the U S has kind of made their jump compared to years past and become a, a competitive powerhouse here. Is there any other team you feel like, you know, might have a, a bit of a look, you know, as far as that's concerned. I also, speaking of um, uh, the WHL and, and that sort of thing, 
We also had another conversation that's maybe World Junior related. The stipend that CHL players get is not large. No, it's not. Um, do you think that there is a case or some way that we should make a stipulation where um, these players who are technically paid should it should be waived and they should end up being able to play Division One hockey? Oof. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so I think that comes down to the player, right, Noah? That is um, the stipend is one thing, but I think you're more concerned about the the level of competition, yeah. and development, right? We we talked about maybe guys who are not drafted by an NHL team are free to play Division One, but if you're drafted, you make the jump. You know? uh, it, it's hard. I don't know because there's already sort of a weird partnership with the NHL and juniors, right? Because again, if you're if you're a junior tendered player and you are like Shane Wright, for example, we talked about with Shane Wright, if you yeah. can't be sent to the AHL because the junior team still owns your rights, which means either you are an NHL player or you're a junior player. There's no in between. I wonder if the next CBA is going to address that. Um, you, you kind of figure maybe not. And I say that just because I, I think they like that partnership. They like having, because it's it's a tender player, right? It's You're still kind of their property. Yeah. Uh, but, but you kind of wonder if you become draft eligible, does do you change the rules, which is the team, like the, shall we say that the, if you're signed, right? If you become signed, do you finally disrupt that connection where you can be sent to the American Hockey League and not to juniors? I don't know. Um, right. It's it's been, shall we? I don't know if we want to call it an eyesore, but it's been sort of a not player friendly um, partnership, especially yeah. on the development side. Um, you kind of wonder if that will be addressed. I don't I don't know if that's going to be solved because yeah. obviously, for those who don't know, and this doesn't happen often, but it can happen. If you're a true freshman, 18, 19 years old, and you play a year at the Division One level, you could still play in the CHL, mm -hmm. but you can't go the other direction. Correct. Um, but that's the thing is you have some of these guys who maybe don't get drafted and they finish their age 20 season and maybe they are good hockey players, but they really don't, they can play professionally somewhere, I guess, but maybe the best path for them is to play college hockey. Now the other challenge is some of these guys, you get, um, you get college support essentially to be able to go to college if you play in the CHL too, which um, some of these guys obviously take advantage of. But yeah, I, I kind of wonder if there is something where there's a case where you can have some of these guys that could play Division One hockey. You know, I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know what that would look like. But like I said, the stipend they get is not. I mean, it's enough to eat food and basic necessities. Basically, it yeah, type thing. Um, I, I don't know how you would do it. I don't know if it's like uh you know, if you played less than a hundred games or something like that, or if you, yeah, I don't know if that solves it either. Um, it's, or, do, or, or, or do you, I mean, like I said, it's not a, it's not a bad perspective. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Right. Do, do you, th do you think that we shouldn't like, it should just stay as it is. Like it shouldn't, like if you play in the dub, you, or you play in the, O, you understand once you go, you go and that's how it should be. I think that's, I think that is what it is. I, you know, because it's similar to the NCAA, right? Once you, um, once you make the jump, eligibility is done. Um, 
because it, and I think it has to go with you have to have a signed contract, right? Because I think right now, going back to the Shane Wright situation, right? Technically, he's a Seattle player, but if he for whatever reason, because he's still junior eligible because of his age, he can't go to the American Hockey League. I think that's bogus mm-hmm. because you've signed the deal with the parent club, which means you should have the right as the parent club to, to move as move it to the AHL, right? So it's weird. It's very weird. Now, this is where, again, um, if you take that approach, though, which is, okay, you sign a player, but if he's a slide risk candidate, then you can't send him back to juniors then if he doesn't make the cut kind of thing, right? Right. So that's where it's like, what in the absolute blank do you do here? It, it's it's not it's not a clear cut it's, answer. It's a weird thing too, and not to say that even if you change it where guys can play in the A, that you couldn't, I guess, send him down from the A to a junior squad because they're junior eligible technically. Right. Um, but if you think about it, like let's say that Shane Wright's former team is headed to the playoffs, and Shane Wright, you know, is not in the Kraken lineup. You could have Shane Wright in your lineup for the playoffs, like right. <laughs> but you, you can make that case to the American yeah. Hockey League too. Like, I, you don't tell yeah. me that Coachella Valley wouldn't love to have him as part of their roster too, right? So, yeah. But it can't be. I, I think what has to happen. I think part of the actual conversation has to be. Whereas there can't be an exclusive sort of like you can't go here, you can't go there, right? I if you want to maybe fix it, allow every level to be up for discussion, right? So let's say Karna Bedard, we send him to the, to the AHL in a conditioning stint and he is terrible, right? Let's yeah. just say that he really is just not figuring it out. Can you go back to his junior squad if he's eligible? Sure, right? Yeah. Um, whereas say what you were wanting, send him back to junior. Let's say he's just a man amongst boys, right? But in the NHL, he was just, again, not at that level. I think he should have the ability to go to the American Hockey League and play not just as a conditioning stint, but as part of a level where he can go and fine-tune his game. Versus like, you know, say a guy like Austin Matthews, where you could have sent him down to the A, because that's where he would have ended up because he played in Europe. But final question here on the World Juniors, real quickly. If either of these teams, Canada or the U.S., wins the World Championship, who will it be and why? It's going to be Team Canada. Um, and I, I think just because they are going to, um, they're going to be tough to catch up as far as offense production goes. Um, I just think there's just so much special talent there up front with Fantale, Connor Bedard, just to name a couple of players. Um, I, I do like their back end with Kurt Shinsky, Zellweger, um, just to name a few players. But again, it's going to be, shall we say, an arms race with them. If, if, if their goaltending is the suspect character, uh, the U.S. can keep pace with that. Um, the question is going to be, as we saw this with the women's side too, right? Um, just last year, um, Canada women's are blowing people out. We said, hang on a second. Like if there's going to be, or no, it was the U.S. women, sorry. If, if they get to be a defensive team, they're going to struggle. And Canada was the defensive yeah. team, right? So it's going to be interesting, but I still feel like Canada can overcome that. I just feel like they're too deep. Yeah, well, in typical fashion here, I'm going with the U.S. for two reasons here. Uh, number one, I think their four group is not as high octane, but I think they're more right. balanced than Canada, where they're not going to have to rely on one unit or one power play group or that sort of thing. I think they're going to get scoring up and down the lineup. I agree with you. I think the defensive core favors Canada heavily in this one. So this defensive group for um, 
for the U.S. is going to have to show some metal here. Although, uh, you know, of course, a couple of these young guys that were not on the team before, you know, think Ryan Chesley, for example, Minnesota's defensive core might be the deepest D core um, that that Gophers team has seen in two decades. I mean, they, they look mm-hmm. really good. Luke Middlestad, obviously, too. Goaltending edge has to go to the U.S. So I think if they get enough good goaltending to keep them in a hockey game, they're going to have enough goal support from the depth that they have as far as the forward side. It's just the defensive core has to play beyond their years a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in this tournament to have a chance. But I do think it should be a good matchup. Don't count the Swedes out. Don't count the Finns out. Uh, Watch out for team, team Germany. Yeah, um, Team Czechia as well, too. Uh, you never really know. Um, so it should be interesting. But like we mentioned, a couple of prelim games, one on Monday, one on Wednesday, and then, of course, the 26th day after Christmas, we get rocking and rolling for some hockey action. Then the 27th college hockey is back again, and we will be back on January 1st, obviously, to recap it all. Men's hockey playing December 30th, women's hockey waiting till the following weekend where they play the 6th and 7th against New Hampshire and Merrimack. Men's hockey will be playing the Gophers at that time. Wild have six games, maybe seven, uh, before the end of the calendar year and before we are back here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. That will do it for episode number 142. That will do it for the Huskies Warming House podcast 2022 coverage. And we'll move on to the next calendar year. And we can't wait to be a part of it. Wishing you a safe and happy holiday here this Christmas season. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you in a couple weeks in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.